The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. One of the questions I get often and that is what makes a good therapist? Because there, there are therapists who are good, and there are some therapists who are really good. They're great. And I, I get a question a lot of, is every therapist the same? Or did I get a bad one? Or I have a great one. What do you mean? You don't, you don't like your therapist. And so I'm really interested in this. And it's a great topic. And the, the title of this episode is What Makes a Good Therapist Great? And my guest is John Lee. And John is a, a licensed counselor. And we're going to be talking about what is it that makes a good therapist great? And this is going to be really good for those of you who are therapists to hone your skills and be thinking through what are some things that I can do to even be even better than what I am now? Or you might be someone who is looking for a therapist and you're trying to figure out how do I find the right therapist for me? Well, this episode is going to be for you as well. So it's going to be a great one. And so we're going to be talking about what makes a good therapist great with John Lee coming right up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a licensed therapist, and I am also the host of the show, and I am so happy that you're here. Cannot wait to talk about this topic. It's one question that I get often, and I, the one that I think is going to be really helpful for you. And so let me just kind of let you know who the guest is going to be. Jonathan Lee is a licensed clinical professional counselor. He's also the founder of Anchor Point Professional Counseling, which is a mental health private practice located in Maryland. As a Cambodian, first-generation college graduate and business owner, Jonathan is passionate about bringing mental health awareness to minority communities. Love that. Jonathan hosts mental health workshops, continuing education courses to educate business professionals, local churches, and members of the Asian community about depression and anxiety. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. And I'm trying to think, you might be the first guest that has the same name as I do. That's right. Yeah, no, no pressure. No, it's kind of like talking to myself. John, welcome to the show. So anyway, great to have you. And it's just, really looking forward to learning more about what makes a good therapist great. But before we get to that, I, I want to know a little bit about you. Really seems like an interesting background and tell us a little story about you. It could be being the first generation college graduate and business owner. It could be about when you decided to become a therapist. It could be both of those. So tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, definitely. So I am Cambodian partly because my mom migrated here from Cambodia. She was actually a survivor of the Khmer Rouge or the Cambodian genocide in the 1960s. And she had gone through a great deal of trauma before migrating here. She witnessed the pretty much homicide of 
the entire side of her family. The only ones who were able to successfully flee here were her and her siblings by boat after the genocide ended. So she, I I have a great deal of respect for all of the things that she's gone through. She's no longer with us today. She actually passed away from Alzheimer's almost a decade ago. But it's because of her and the sacrifice that she made that I, both myself and my sister, even have the opportunities that we do have. So growing up as a Cambodian-American, one of the biggest things that my mother instilled in us was a strong sense of work ethic. Because we we had a working class background and my mother was the breadwinner in our family, we, we had to work really hard for every opportunity we got and received growing up. Mental health is one of the things that I encountered a lot of in terms of dysfunction and disorders that I experienced growing up, even in my family dynamic. Of course, because of my mom's background, she had PTSD, she had depression, she had a variety of things that were unresolved from being a victim and a survivor of a mass genocide. So growing up, I I encountered and I experienced a lot of challenges in my family dynamic as a result of unresolved mental health issues that were not dealt with. And for me specifically, I developed a, a passion for diving into the mental health field at a really young age. It's actually funny because in middle school, we had these, these little assessments that we took to determine what our career path would be when we grew up. And the number one thing that popped up for me was psychologist slash therapist. And it just made sense because I was always the go-to person for friends whenever they wanted to talk about things, whenever they needed emotional support. I was always the one that was sought after for advice or for any type of insight whenever people wanted to talk about things. So early on, I, I knew that I wanted to dive into the helping profession field. And I actually ended up skipping several grades. I graduated high school early. I graduated college in, in two years instead of four, um, partly because I already knew at a young age that this is exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and opportunities fell in my lap. And I was very fortunate to be able to take advantage of some really awesome ones. Honestly, my first job, <clears throat> official like W-2 job was I was a, a student assistant at the University of Maryland's Counseling Center. Long story short, I, I helped a lady carry boxes to her house and she just happened to be the director of University of Maryland's Counseling Center. And we were just striking up a conversation and she asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I just told her, hey, I, I really want to go into counseling. And she connected me right away. And I was able to be a student assistant as a 16-year-old in high school. And I had the opportunity to shadow counselors and, and sit in on sessions. And that exposure, even as a 16-year-old, was so incredibly impactful for me because I it solidified my career pursuit. And it really helped me develop that confidence that I needed to know, yeah, this is what I want to go into college for. And this is what I I need to do for the rest of my life. And from that point on, I I just took advantage of more and more opportunities. I started off as a a crisis intervention person working at a a crisis center. Um, I ended up supervising there for several years before I dived into grad school. And opportunity after opportunity just presented itself year after year until about three years ago when I decided to start my own private practice in the Montgomery County, Maryland area where I am now. Well, okay. 
So what really strikes me when you were talking about your, like how you got involved in becoming a counselor, you were 16 years old and you knew what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That is so very rare. I would say it's very rare for a teenager to say, I want to become a therapist. I'm guessing that's pretty rare. And for you though, you knew that's what you wanted to do. I would imagine in large part because of what your mom went through. Yes. Yeah. Because your mom had PTSD, rightly so. She went through horrific trauma and she was raising you and your sister and you grew up with her just seeing her resilience. And, and also I'm sure there were some times it was very difficult and just that living with that and seeing that, that would really, it makes sense to me that at a very young age, you wanted to become a therapist because you wanted to help people that are struggling like your mom was. Yeah. And, and the other big thing was I really wanted to empower other people that came from disadvantaged backgrounds because I myself had a lot of disadvantages and I grew up in an environment where a lot of people around me had certain socioeconomic, family status, and a variety of other significant privileges and advantages in life. And I remember experiencing a lot of insecurity and a lot of inferiority growing up, to be quite honest, because of my unique background. And so one thing that really appealed to me about the mental health field was the opportunity and the privilege to empower people that felt disempowered and to be able to give them the resources that they need in order to change their perspective on life and to maximize their potential for success and being the best version of themselves that they could be, despite whatever background they came from. Wow. I love that. I love it because not only you grew up in a, in a home where your mom was went through a lot of trauma. So you got to see that, but also you, you developed a, just a heart and a love for those in the, the minority communities. And you saw that you wanted to bring the mental health awareness to, to those disadvantaged and minority groups. And I think that's amazing that that's what you wanted to do at a young age. And you, sometimes it's luck and sometimes it's, it's just great openings. And it's this destiny that you meet certain people. And I would say when you met that director of the college counseling center, it was partly luck maybe, but also partly your destiny to, to do that. And you said that you got to sit in to watch and learn from other therapists. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've learned a lot by watching. Yeah. And so the topic of this episode is what makes a good therapist great. You kind of knew that you were learning that even before you became a therapist yourself. So first I want to, I want you to, to bring out a little bit more about your mission. It sounds like a mission that you have of wanting to bring out the mental health awareness to minority communities and what that looks like. And then I want to come back and I want to talk more about what you believe makes a good therapist great. So let, let's start with the mental health awareness to minority communities and, and tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing and some of your ideas that you're working towards on that. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I'm passionate about is raising awareness of mental health, especially among the Asian American community. So one of the things that I do for me personally, I have a background as a Christian, so I'm connected with different churches, but also I reach out to different churches, especially Asian American ones, whether it's Korean American, Vietnamese American, Chinese American, just to kind of open up a window and an opportunity to create workshops, open-ended discussions, group dynamics, where we can discuss symptoms of both depression and anxiety, given that those are the two most common ones, but also given that in the Asian community, there is a deprioritization and lack of education and awareness of mental health specifically. I think for me specifically, having been surrounded by so many Asian Americans growing up, I observed a lot of mental health symptoms happening all around me. There were a lot of people that were suicidal, that were struggling with what we would classify as therapists as generalized anxiety disorder, people that were having a lot of physiological symptoms in response to mental health challenges that they were going through that simply didn't have the tools or resources to understand how to cope with those things. So as a clinician, this is one thing that I talk about all the time in pretty much every teaching opportunity I have, but I talk a lot about the biopsychosocial model of self-care and health and mental health specifically. So when I'm breaking down with different churches or businesses or Asian American groups about what depression is, about what anxiety is, I'm looking at it from a holistic health perspective. So I educate any community that I encounter or interact with about what the biological, the psychological, the social, and the spiritual symptoms and implications of whatever depression looks like, anxiety looks like, PTSD, substance use, whatever mental health topic I'm speaking about in that particular event or workshop, I'm expounding on what does it look like from each of those four areas of health and functioning to observe and witness someone going through depression, anxiety, and a variety of other things. That way I can break things down with people in a more logistical, practical manner. And I also utilize a lot of diagrams, visual diagrams to help people capture and understand what it looks like to experience one particular type of mental health issue from a holistic health and physiological standpoint, if that makes sense. Well, I'm going to say it does definitely make sense. I mean, I, I love the fact that you use visuals because I think that is a, a really good way of explaining. Sometimes it can be complicated concepts. But to see a visual representation of it can be very helpful with, you know, just trying to figure out what it is that you're trying to explain. So that's really cool. And then you, you specifically target the different communities by going to churches, because that's something that you value a lot. And so that makes sense that you go there, because that's where a lot of the people in the community, Asian community especially, gather. And so that's a great resource where you can go to them instead of them coming to you. So that's that's great. Thank you for doing that. That's that's very helpful to know. And, and so what I would like to do now is to talk a little bit more about going back to what makes a good therapist great, kind of the topic, the main topic of, of our, our episode. And going way back when you were younger and, and witnessing and watching other therapists, what are some things that you would say, one, what are some things that you'd say is a good therapist, some things that a good therapist would do, and, and maybe 
some things that a potential client is looking for a, a therapist? What are some things to look for? But then what then would you say makes a great therapist? Yeah, great question. So good therapists, from what I observe, have the basic clinical skills that were taught in graduate school, right? So they they have those basic active listening, reflective listening, resources readily available for targeting any type of mental health issue that clients are going through, whether it's anxiety, depression, having different, I don't want to necessarily say worksheets, but different strategies, interventions, techniques readily available and at hand, right? But specifically when it comes to great therapy, one thing that Unfortunately, I notice time and time again, especially when I'm doing intakes and meeting clients for the first time in consultations, one thing that doesn't come up as often as I'd hope when people talk about previous therapists they've had is having a goal-centric experience. And what I mean by that is this is something we all know as therapists, but at the end of the day, therapy is intended to be goal-oriented and there have to be top prioritizations that clients are expecting out of the experience, right? So with a lot of incoming clients, with a lot of consultations I've done with new clients in the past, people will reflect on previous therapy experiences they've had and very often tell me that there wasn't really a sense of direction or there there weren't really goals that the client was working on. And I think that at the very start of therapy, it's extremely important to have goals and to have a sense of direction, first and foremost. I think the other thing when it comes to great therapy is being able to integrate a multi-sensory approach to the therapy experience. And what I mean by that is very often I'll hear from new clients who are transferring from other counselors that all they did was maybe talk it out for a little bit and perhaps the entire hour for many hours back to back weeks on end was just the client venting. And there wasn't a sense of resolution. There wasn't really much going on with the, with the interaction or the dynamic, the counselor client relationship dynamic, as we call it. And it's disheartening to hear feedback like that. When I hear clients talk about previous therapy experiences, partly because there's so much more to the counseling experience than just the client venting, right? For myself as a therapist, I love to integrate a multi-sensor approach, meaning that I try my best to integrate as many of the five senses as I can in session with people. One thing I talk about time and time again is the idea of mindfulness. But when I'm talking about mindfulness with clients, I don't just talk about it in a psychoeducation teaching type of dynamic, we actually practice it in session, right? So one thing I've talked a lot about with people in the past is how can you integrate mindfulness in your day-to-day life? And sometimes we'll use therapy sessions to model that type of dynamic. So what I'll do is I'll gather a five census charts and I will invite the client to bring in their favorite type of food, whether it's sushi or a burger or any type of dish from home. And we'll practice mindful eating in session. I'll have the client slowly chew on and savor the flavors of whatever they're consuming. And they will literally record and write down all of the five senses, five sensory experiences that they're experiencing in that particular moment. See, hear, touch, taste, feel, 
when it comes to the food. And that way we're using our therapy session to kind of model and experiment on ways that that client can be mindful of other experiences in life, whether it's being present in conversations with their peers or exercising or being attentive at work or a variety of other areas where mindfulness can be helpful. So I bring up the multi-sensory approach partly because I think that part of what makes a great therapist great is practicing in session some of the things that you're teaching your clients, but also at the same time, teaching your clients in a way that is multi-sensory so that the client can actually retain the information in a memorable way and look back on an experience in a previous session and go, wow, I remember when hypothetically I was doing mindful eating with John and these were the things I learned about mindfulness. And let me start practicing that right now. So different experiences that we invite clients into that are memorable for them, partly because we engaged in a multi-sensory approach. And from there, they can look back on that and actually retain the content and the information that we were teaching them by not just talking, but actually doing things in session. Well, I really love that. I love the fact that you invite your clients to bring in food and using that for mindfulness practice. What a what a wonderful experience because food is something that we that we normally we associate with us very social. And it's obviously something that we have to have and you're bringing that in and you're incorporating, which is what I love, what you're teaching into the experience in your session, something that people do commonly every single day. So if I was a client, would it be okay if I were to bring in a chocolate chip cookie? Oh, yeah. Oh, sign me up. All right. That's awesome. I love it. No, but seriously, the fact that, that you're teaching your, your clients and you have a goal sounds very intentional. And so... All those are great. And I'm thinking of someone who might be listening to this and maybe they're calling around and trying to find a therapist. What would you say would be some good questions that, because a lot of times I'll tell people, not every therapist is going to be a good fit for you. So how do you find one that is a good fit? And I, I tell people, well, ask some questions, develop some questions ahead of time. And when you talk to a therapist before you go in and make the appointment, talk to them and ask them some questions, almost like a, an interview in a way. What would be some questions that, that you think would be good for someone to ask if they were to call and, and talk to a therapist and maybe just a few questions that would help them get a, a better understanding if they'd be a good fit or not? Yeah. One of the things that I, I love to challenge people, even friends that are friends of mine that are looking for therapists around them, because I can't offer therapy to them. So I always have to tell them what kind of questions to ask. One thing that I love encouraging people to ask a prospective therapist is how do you engage in therapy? And by that, I mean, is it just a talk therapy experience? What types of activities, what types of interventions can I expect? Because generally when you have a consultation or a initial session with a potential counselor as a prospective client, the first thing you're going to do is talk about the problem areas that you want to work on, essentially. That's pretty much almost every dynamic. But 
I always love to challenge people who are looking for a counselor to ask that question of what what types of interventions are you typically offering your clients, right? What do you typically do during the therapy process? What will this look like? Will this be a talk therapy experience? What type of therapeutic modality are you operating out of? How will you help me through this process that I'm expressing to you I need help with, right? And being able to investigate and explore the specific therapeutic kind of orientation that the counselor is coming from and what they have to offer in terms of like being able to understand what the experience is like and them sharing that with you up front is typically helpful because you can kind of gauge from there like maybe I don't necessarily want to just do this type of intervention whether it's like oh this person only specializes in CBT and their perspective is just changing my perspective on things. Maybe I want to do a little bit more emotionally focused therapy kind of stuff where I explore the past and family dynamics. I think it's really important to start with like the framework and the philosophy of the counselor and exploring that. I like that. That's a really, really good place to start to try to figure out if the therapist is going to be a good fit. Just kind of go there and, and, and have some of those questions ready. Now, Getting towards the end here, I do want to talk about the therapists themselves because you and I are therapists and we're talking about what makes a good therapist great. And you mentioned a lot of good ones. If someone is, is listening to this, a therapist and they're thinking, you know what, there are probably some things that I need to work on to hone on to in order to be better. And I always want to grow better as a therapist. What would be some things that you could offer to a therapist who's listening, who wants to wants to kind of elevate their game, so to speak, and, and really want to hone their craft and help their clients when they come in? And, and maybe when they have a client, call them and ask those great questions that you just mentioned. What would be some things that you could tell a, a therapist to hone their craft? One thing that makes a good therapist great at what they do is the openness and the willingness to constantly learn and to grow and adapt. And one thing that I always encourage people, even other counselors that I'm supervising or teaching on some level, is to maximize your social network as a clinician. And so what I mean by that is, this is sort of a model that I've been practicing for years now that's been extremely helpful for me in terms of diversifying my exposure and my my team. But it comes from a Christian kind of principle and model called the Paul Barnabas Timothy model. And essentially what that is, is it's this idea of having a three-tiered diverse supervision exposure for yourself to keep yourself accountable. So Paul Timothy Barnabas, that basically suggests that it's important to have a Pauline group or a mentor group in your circle a group of clinicians that are more seasoned than yourself that you can learn from. So I have my own supervision group of counselors who are semi-retired and they pour into me, they feed me, they teach me, they share so much wisdom and knowledge because they are a couple of years away from retirement and they've been practicing for longer than I've been alive. And they have so much wisdom to offer me, right? That's my Pauline group. My Barnabas group, quote unquote, is 
my accountability group. So a supervision group of equally seasoned clinicians that are keeping me accountable to that we can do case consultations with, that we can learn from each other, and that we're on sort of like an equal ground so that we can keep each other accountable to the quality of service that we're offering while also learning from one another, right? And then the third tier of that model is the quote unquote Timothy group or the mentee group. So I have graduate level counseling students that I mentor and I supervise and they challenge me to be a better clinician because I have to simplify how I phrase things and talk about things in a manner that's more consumable to a graduate student when I'm talking about clinical things. And I have to break concepts down into simpler terms. And it keeps me accountable to what I'm teaching my clients and how I'm growing as a professional. So having a mentor, accountability, and a mentee group, extremely, extremely helpful, especially as a a clinician that desires to grow and mature and develop over time. Because the reality is this is an ongoing lifelong journey that we're in as therapists. We're going to constantly learn things. We're going to constantly grow and mature and change as clinicians. And it's important that we have a multi-tiered system of other clinicians that are walking alongside of us every single step of the way as we are changing our approach to things or learning new principles, new interventions, new techniques, that we have other people keeping us accountable to that as well. Well, that is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic because we cannot do this alone and we shouldn't be doing this alone. We need community and you're, you're right. We need people who have been in this field for a long time so we can learn from. Uh, we need our peer group and those that we're, that we're helping as well and mentoring. I completely agree with that. And that is awesome. So I'm going to let you go here really soon, but I got one more question for you. And that has to do with self-care. And one of the things I I talk a lot about self-care and I enjoy self-care for myself, but I like to ask my guests, what are some things that you do for your self-care? Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many things I have to throw on that list. (laughs) One of the things is I do regular massages for myself. So I know that stress or tension manifests in my shoulders and my neck. So I get regular full body massages on a regular basis. That's a big thing for me. And it's something that I've gotten used to in the last year or two. But another one that's really practical and specific is I rank the intensity level of each of my clients and each of the types of sessions that I have on a day-to-day basis. So as therapists, we We anticipate that certain types of clients or sessions might be a little bit more emotionally draining or challenging for us than others. So I rank the intensity level of each of my sessions. And by the end of the day, if my average is greater than a five, then I need to adjust and rearrange certain clients on certain days so that I have a light versus heavy emotional weight load for that given week at the end of the week. But it's just a very practical, simple way that I manage my emotional resilience and my emotional health as a clinician so that I never get burned out 
because my load is is manageable on a day-to-day and a week-to-week and a month-to-month basis. Well, I, I love how intentional you are with your self-care, with your therapy practice, with your growth. It's just everything that you have mentioned is, to me, it comes to mind is that you, you are intentional. And that's exactly what we want to teach our, our clients, isn't it? We want them to be intentional with growing and working on their mental health. And so you're modeling that. Well, John, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and just sharing your knowledge, your compassion. It, your compassion really came out and just a really delight to get to know you. And I'm, I'm proud to, to call you a colleague. And from what you are doing among the minority communities as well and, and honoring your mom. And again, I'm, I'm very, very sorry to hear what happened with your mom and her passing but you're honoring her legacy. And so you're welcome. And so thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And I want to thank all of you for listening. And so I, I want you to really take away from this as being intentional, whether you're a therapist and you're wanting to, to go from good to great, or you're someone who's looking for a, a great therapist, be intentional. And, and I want you to be intentional with working on your mental health as well. And I just appreciate you all, whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember, the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care, my friends. Bye-bye.